Today I want to speak to you about an issue that requires the church rise up and contend. I want to speak to you about biblical justice versus social justice. If you follow any news, if you are in an education system, if you have conversations with people at your work, you'll know this is issue has been burning, particularly the last three to five years, but it is one that started even in the 1960s, this idea of social justice. Now, we're not going to be speaking just specifically about social justice because we are continuing our series on the book of Psalms, and we will be looking at Psalms seven, Psalm 17. We, and, and it is a cry of David's heart for God to bring him justice as he is being falsely accused. So we're going to be looking at the issue of justice. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 17. I want to ask you to join me in prayer first that the Holy Spirit would open our ears to hear and that he'd give me the grace to speak his words with, with, tr- with his word with truth and power. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for life that comes from you. And, uh, and I'm dependent on you. Uh, there, there's a requirement of your word to be brought alive to us today. There's a requirement of you to fill me with the, the, the ability to speak your word and a requirement for ears to be open, God, particularly on controversial issues or confusing issues where even where the church is divided in understanding these things. I pray that I, my, my words would be seasoned with grace, but yet filled with powerful truths from God on high. We give thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Normally, I go verse by verse of, of the chapter, and we're going to be doing that in just a moment, and I will read uh, the whole of this ch- chapter 17, but I, I want to back up a little bit before, first because Psalm 17 is David's cry for justice. Why is he crying for justice? Well, we can see in the history of his life a continuous bombardment from the enemy, the evil one, coming to bring him under condemnation, to accuse him falsely, to allow him to be uh, slandered time and time again. We see this time and time again. Here, 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 here's one of the first ones. It, it's David had gone and he's been so helpful to Saul. Saul would have these spells of depression and almost like demonic attacks. And David would come in and play his harp. And, and in that, the, 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 that worship experience would bring a soothing to Saul's heart. But David became successful and and then Saul begins to slander him, saying, who is this, this little one? Who is this one who's not even a you know, king like me, that, that the women are singing these songs about his greatness? And, and so his jealous spirit causes him to slander him, causes him to libel him, causes him to become aggressive against him, and even at one point to try to take his life. It's found in 1 Samuel 18. It says, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. And Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. This is what accusations do. This is what libel does. This is what slander does. This is what injustice, injustice does. This is what words against you do. And this is why David later on goes to the courts of heaven, to the courts of God, to ask for God's favor. It's this idea of words pinning us to the wall, of, of, of words keeping us from being who God wants us to be or what he has called us to become in our life. But Saul is not the only one. And Saul continuously uh, attacks him and causes him to have to flee and, and hide in the caves. In 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, we see his own son, David's own son, Absalom, 
And Absalom is doing the same thing. He's slandering him. This is in in uh, 2 Samuel, if you turn there, 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 2. And Absalom used to rise up early and stand beside the way of the gate. He was he was plotting against David to, to cause slander and false accusations to bring his kingdom down where Absalom could take the throne. And he would stand up early beside the gate, and when any man would dispute, would come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And, and he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe of Israel. And Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man, there's no one to hear your plea. There's no one to give you justice. Uh, see, this is a false form of justice that we're going to be talking about today. It, 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 it removes us from biblical justice and takes us into a worldly form of justice. And Absalom is advocating for that. Oh, if, if there was just a man who could hear your plea, how about making me that man? But there's no man designated. In verse 4, then Absalom would say, Oh, that there was a judge in the land of Israel, that every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. Absalom has a wicked spirit. Absalom is, has an ungodly agenda. And yet he is speaking to those in the nation saying, I will give you justice. That's a false form of justice. You can't be living the way Absalom is living and doing what Absalom is doing and pretend to have justice. When you're living in injustice yourself, you can't bring justice to others. And that's a worldly view of justice. One more, and it's found in the next chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to read a long passage here, verses 5 through 14. When King David came to Barum, there was a man and his family from the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, and the son of Gera, and he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David and all the servants of King David. And all the people and the mighty men were in his right hand and his left, and Shimei uh, cursed him. He said, get out, Get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged all the blood of your house on Saul. And in you, and in your place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Then Abishai, the son of Zerah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, O son of Zerah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him. It may be that the Lord will look upon the wrong done me and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. Again, you see this libel, you see this slander you see this unjust accusation of one in authority of, of what God had ordained to be. And David, interestingly enough, in all three of these circumstances, does not do what probably you and I would want to do, of vengeance to take it into our hands, to, to fight back against these false accusations, these, <clears throat> these lies from the pit of hell. We would want to bring these things to our friends, to our neighbors, and, and be justified, so to speak, and, and get a righteous judgment from all those around us, for those to be seen around us as, as, as what they really are, those false accusation and those lies. How is it in all three of these circumstances that David is merciful? How is it that, that he goes and, and, and doesn't 
produced his own vengeance upon them. Why? Because he goes directly to the judge <clears throat> of all men. And that's where I want to turn now to Psalm chapter 17, Psalm 17. And you'll see where David brings his troubled heart. Where do we go when we're hurt? Where do we go when we're wounded? Where do we go when words are spoken against us? Where do we go when there's an attempt to diminish us as David was so many times in his own life? He is an expert on dealing with these things that we're talking about today. A prayer of David, hear a just cause. O Lord, attend unto my cry. Give ear to my prayer from the lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed in my mouth that I will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the words of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the wicked. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from the adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me, those who close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have surrounded our steps and their eyes. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure and satisfy them with children, and they leave their abundance to infants. But as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. The first thing we see how David deals with false accusations is that he brings it into the courtroom of the judge most high, of God on his throne. He doesn't seek to, to vindicate himself, to get justice for himself. He looks to God, the, the maker of heaven and earth, the righteous judge who sits on the throne most high. He knows where to go. He knows who to go. He goes directly to the judge of all men. His vindication comes from the Lord. It's basically saying, if I am well with him, then all will be well in me, in me, in my heart. I cannot solve all the judgments of that men bring against me falsely, but I can have this sure thing, and it's my standing, my right standing with God. My heart can be secure in him, and and because he brings me out of these false accusations. He could lose his kingdom, he could lose his family, he could lose his his state, his status, he could he could be spoken of as evil, and and he could bring all these accusations to the Lord. He, he, he could have all those other things going on, but he could be satisfied in the Lord. He could be satisfied that the Lord is his righteous judge. Now, this first verse here says, hear just cause. And the, the Hebrew there is, in English, it's four words, hear a just cause. In Hebrew, it's just two words. The first word is Yahweh. And it's and you could just hear David crying this under all these false accusations that we read from these three different men in his history. And you could almost hear him just saying Yahweh. And the second word is 
righteousness. Yahweh, righteousness. It's like a child saying, Mama, hungry. Just, it's the idea of a, of, a, of, a, of a deep soul cry, of something deep within inside because of the pain and the sorrow of these words that were spoken against them and this, 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 these battles that were coming against them and this, this false form of justice that was actually injustice coming against them. And he's just crying out, Abba, Father, Yahweh, righteousness, bring righteousness, bring justice, hear a just cause, hear my heart. And he says, oh Lord, attend unto my cry. This word attend speaks of paying attention to, not letting it just sort of echo in the chambers of heaven, but but to, to get into the, the canal of his ear and that he be heard and God would respond. Give ear to my prayer from lips that are free of deceit. David is saying, I'm not deceiving in this situation. And, and so we're seeing this first verse and this whole chapter being very much a I would call it a very legal chapter. Verse 1, he, he's talking about a just cause. He's talking about a his lips being a righteous witness. Uh, in verse 2, from the presence of, uh, from your presence let my vindication. Most oftentimes that word vindication is translated as sentence. Uh, to bring down the decree, the, let a judge hear the case and then decree his sentence. And, he, and he's saying, let you, let, I'm going to come into your presence and I want to hear your sentence. Do you say to me guilty or not guilty? I'm going to have an honest witness to you about the accusations and the lies against me. And I, and I want you to pronounce sentence either against me if you find me guilty or against my enemies if you see that they are guilty. So you, later on, he says, verse 3, you have tried my heart. You have tested me. Again, these are trial uh, words. These are words of a, of a courtroom. And so we're seeing David uh, looking for justice but he's looking for righteous justice. I believe if David lived in our day, he would be disgusted at this false view of justice called social justice. Now, I want to describe this briefly to you, and I'm not going to get into a lot of the details because it's very deep and it's very confusing. Uh, there, there's so much um, written about this today and so much confusion on this, but I'm just going to touch on the periphery of it. But I, I want to say, first of all, I do believe in social justice. I believe social justice is biblical justice, caring for the poor, loving your neighbor, uh, honoring one another, looking out for the outcast. It's, it's having God's heart for those around you, all people around you, not just certain classifications, not those who are just like you, not those who are just of the same race of you, not just of those of the same gender as you, but, but looking out for the, for men and women together, looking out for black and white together, looking out for rich and poor together, that there's this idea of biblical justice being that we care for those who are being treated in unjustly and we bring justice of the heart of God, whether it be our courtroom and our education system and media that we cry out for, as David did, Yahweh, justice, Yahweh, righteousness. But as I'm saying, I believe in social justice. I'm calling it social justice with a small s, and a small j. It, it is a thing that is done. And what's happening today in America is called a social justice with a capital S and a capital J. It is a movement. It is. It was born in the halls of academia. It was. It was. It was written up, uh, maybe even from the 60s, but it became very popular in in the 80s, and then even 2010, and now the last five years, uh, becoming pervasive in government in academia, in court systems. What happened is, first of all, 
These articles were written about how unjust society is, and there was some merit to that, uh, but the remedy of the problem was rooted in a system that is very clo close to uh, neo-Marxism. It, it's, it's very close to things that are not born out of, out of Scripture. What it does is it uses certain scriptural ideas and concepts, but then it thwarts them, much like much many cults do. They have certain elements of truth to them, but then they are diverted from the truth, and they hoodwink people, and they draw people uh, who, who are not careful in understanding their doctrine and theology, and they draw them away. And we'll talk about some of these things in just a moment. But I wanted to say first that we, we do as Christians believe in social justice, but not necessarily in the social justice movement that started in academia. Uh, and then these students were taught these things, and when they were taught these things, the, the, the professors would say, um, there are academic studies written on this, almost calling them like scientific studies, uh, uh, social, socially concerned articles written, and they, they would see them as science now, uh, sociological sciences. And so they would tell their students in the classroom that these are proven realities. <clears throat> these, these, these things that really weren't based on truth, they were based on opinions. Again, we'll talk about these in just a moment. They're based on opinions. Now they were being taught as, as truth, so to speak, even though it was a postmodern understanding of truth. That is, there really is no absolute truth. <clears throat> but they were taught as social truths or as cultural truths that need to, to be lived out in our society today. These students took it then and went, as they graduated from college, and they got into media, they got into politics, they got into corporations, they got into Disney, they got into Apple computer, uh, they got into Facebook, they got into Instagram, and now this worldview is prevailing and pervasive, and it's anti-biblical, it's anti-Christian, and it's anti-truth because of its perversion. And, and basically what, what, what is taught is that, that wh whoever you are, you're part of a system. So myself, I'm white, so I'm part of the white supremacist system. I'm a male, I'm part of the male uh, system that, that has mis misogyny. I'm against women, I'm against black. So, so we're, we're taught you are in a system. So even if an individual person is not racially prejudiced or if they're not a, a male against a woman, that, that because you're in that system, you're automatically guilty of being part of that system. And, and uh, your only hope is to be against that. So if you're white, your only hope is to be not get rid of the sinful nature of your heart, not ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart if you find some forms of racism in you, if you have have any lack of full regard for any other your brothers or sisters in the world, and particularly in Christ, you, 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 your only hope is to be anti-racist. And anti-racist is, is not to be getting rid of your heart of racism, it's, it's to fight the system. It's being against the system. So it's being against males, it's being against whites, it's being against um, Christianity, it's being against uh, certain forms of government, it's being against institutions, it's being against the police, it's being against systems. But it's not just being against systems that were required, but it's to deconstruct these systems or to demolish, to bring down these systems. It's to tear it down. You've heard these cries, tear it down. You've heard these cries, burn it down. Burn these systems down. Tear it up. Just, just bring it to the ground. That is 
an evil spirit. That is a satanic spirit. Now, I'm not saying don't bring down racism. Hear me carefully. I'm not saying don't bring down misogyny or don't bring down these 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 uh, ungodly divisions. But it's the way it's doing it. It's saying that that everybody in the system is bad and the whole systems have to be destroyed. Rather than what what God does is He looks at the heart of a man and He sees the 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 sin in that heart and He redeems that heart. He doesn't have to. To, to, to bring the whole system down. He can change it from the inside out. Jesus said, clean the inside of the cup and the outside will become clean. But not only is it bring it down and burn it down, but there, there's, but it's a hopeless situation. It, it, it's, there, there is no justice. There is no re reconciliation other than just to destroy the whole systems of any form of hierarchy. And, and so it's to tear all these things down and there's no, there, there, there's no salvation. Even, even if you are anti-racist or, or, or you're de deconstructing these systems, uh, you, you can make reparations, but you still are part of the system. You are, you are still, so there, there's no escape from it. You will be, the rest of your life, the person stuck in this form of uh, so-called injustice. The problem with this is that it's born out of this thing we hear so often in society today. It's born out of your truth. Uh, you hear Oprah Winfrey talk about this when she's interviewing people. Tell me your truth, not the truth, your truth. So my truth might be different than your truth. There is, again, it's this postmodern worldview. There, there really is no truth. It's, it's not what is true, it's what you feel. And as a result of that, there, there, is, uh, there are women who their truth is that I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, and therefore even at as President Biden said, at eight years old, you should be able to start thinking about changing your gender. And so there's an advocation, even in the highest, the hierarchies of power, there's an advocation for living out your truth. You feel, it's, you feel you're in this body. Now, the, the truth is statistics make it clear that most of those children that feel a boy that feels like he's a girl or a girl that feels like he's a boy. Scientific facts will prove out that as they go through puberty, most of them will come out of that and realize their true sex, their true gender, and hold to that. That's absolute truth. But the social justice movement says there there is no absolute truth. So if somebody feels like they are, then they are. And that's why you get people that are now on the Supreme Court that can't answer the question, what is a woman? Well, it depends on the answer is it depends on another person's truth. That's not my truth. Truth. I'm not a biologist to be able to describe these things. Uh, I only know that certain people have certain uh, your truths. It's 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 a deconstruction not only of systems. It's a deconstruction of truth. And the deconstruction of truth brings brings us to the point of saying, well, then there's another truth to be deconstructed. It's it's the church. It's the Bible. This is not true. Uh, I don't feel that these type of things that you're calling out are sinful or unhealthy. I don't feel that getting stuck in racism for the rest of your life because you're in a particular system, I don't feel that that is, is a truth. It's not my truth. And, and, but it's strange that they, they would proclaim there really is no absolute truth except the lived truth. But if we live this truth, it's called an untruth. If we live the biblical truth, it's called, it, it's called racism. It's called uh, colonialism. It's called uh, misogyny. It's called hierarchy. Uh, and, and so we see this, this onslaught of, of wicked things. 
And the problem often is not just the world accepts those things. We, we expect the world to be the world. The problem is when the church begins to adopt some of these principles and they, be, they begin to say there's really, there's really no reconciliation. There's really no uh, bringing down the true racism. There's only understanding it in the terms of the social justice movement. And so what I'm, and I wish I had more time to get into this, but I don't. The, the Psalm 17 is, is a true picture of justice. It's, it's letting God rule. Now, David takes action. David, David understands his place and position, but the first and foremost cry of his heart is that he would understand the heart of God. And, and that, that's why there's a difference between the social justice movement and biblical justice, because biblical justice looks first to the heart of God, the character of God, the nature of God, the attributes of God, and the word of God, and brings forth a biblical form of justice that is rooted in beauty and power and trusting God and believing for the best and working hard to see the things that are on God's heart become a reality in society. That's why biblical justice has helped America get freed from slavery. That's why biblical justice justice through through in, in England did this same thing that's why biblical justice helped start the school systems in America that have now moved away from biblical truth into social justice truth and and and, and it's just turned biblical justice away from the hearts of our nation and into these false forms uh, of this and we see this and we could spend hours talking about this but I'd rather root myself in the biblical truth first because it's like the counterfeit is, is like trying to figure out what's wrong with every dollar bill that might be a counterfeit. But if you look at a, a true dollar bill long enough and study it, then you'll see something that is, is just maybe a little bit off. Uh, now, I believe what we're talking about today is, is far off. But, but some of the truths, some of the uh, statements being made in this system are, are, are somewhat close to the Bible. And so it sounds like we want to engage in this. And many pastors in the churches today are proclaiming some of these truths about the deconstruction of systems and what's going to happen if they're not careful is they're going to bring down their own house. And so we we see here, verse 2, let from your presence, let my sentence or my vindication come from. There, 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 there has to be in biblical justice first a trust in God, that he is the source of justice, that justice will not be found in other circumstances. And there are many scriptures that echo David's sentiment here of a, of a cry for true biblical justice. One is found in Daniel chapter 7. We won't read it all, but 9 through 14. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 through 14. Uh, and in the midst of great accusation and attacks and slander and and false words, and, and, and as we're talking about in our generation, the, the lack of truth or the misguided truth or the propositions that bring things that are evil and calling them good in the midst of those, what David did and, and what Daniel proclaims here is, is, is profound. I, I know this is the heart of David and I'm praying that this become our heart as well. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days, verse, verse 9, the Ancient of Days took his seat. Hallelujah. This is so powerful. He, Daniel has this vision, and there was this throne placed in front of him. And, and who sat upon this throne but the Ancient of Days, a, an Old Testament description of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus sitting on the throne at the right hand 
of the Father, and his clothing was as white as snow, and his hair on his head was like pure wool, and his throne there was fiery flames, and his wheels were burning. The question is that how could David be merciful to these people that were falsely accusing him, that were standing against him and even trying to take his life. Why? Because he knew the omnipotent God sits on the throne and that David's heart could trust the good heart of God and that truth and justice comes from God. Born out of God's heart, that truth and justice is put into the hearts of men and women. And those men and women preach justice and truth. And those men and women live justice and truth. And those men and women work for justice and truth, to bring down true systems of evil like the abortion mills that are in America today, like the the, the, the the lies about transgenderism and the sexual perversion in a society. There's true justice that is born in the heart of God. And there's true justice to say you don't falsely accuse people. There's all kinds of scriptures about hearing from two or three witnesses. It's not just watching something that a policeman does on the street and then all of a sudden just falsely accusing him without getting all of the truth first. That's what the social justice movement does. But a biblical justice says, this man may be guilty, this woman may be guilty, but let's hear the whole case before we riot on the streets, before we uh, pass judgment. And so David is waiting to pass judgment even on Saul, even on Absalom, even on those who would curse at him because he's waiting to see, God, what are you saying in this situation? But when he gets God's truth, then he can speak up for righteousness. He can speak up for truth and he can do it with the the, the, the full backing of all authority on heaven and earth that is invested in Jesus Christ who's sitting on this throne, this ancient of days. David knew and Daniel knew that God was omnipotent and that God would have his way and that we could become vessels of being used by God to bring forth justice on the earth today. Verse 10 of the same chapter 7 says, A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and a thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand some ten thousands stood before him. The court sat in judgments, and the books were opened. Now, immediately after that, in verse 11 and 12, it speaks of, the, of a horn speaking blasphemy of the horn. That speaks of Satan and his accusers and all of those who would align themselves to call evil good and good evil. And those that would align themselves to Satan, they're, they are blaspheming against God and against truth and against righteousness and against justice. And, and it says there that this, this ancient of days takes that horn and destroys that horn. And, and, and all the rest of the beasts speaking these vile words and these wrong forms of justice. These vile beasts were taken away in verse 13 and 14. It says, And to the ancient of days, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Hallelujah. This is why we can trust God. This is why we look to the ancient of days. This is why we look to the ancient boundaries of the Scripture in the Old Testament. talks about truths that we can rely on, that we don't have to go into these newfangled ideas that are based on feelings and emotion and lies and, and, and untruths. And, and that's exactly what some of these things are. And David and Daniel understands better. David and himself, writing later on in Psalm 82, says, God has taken his place. This is Psalm 82, verse 1. God has taken his place in the divine council and in the midst of God, small g. And that word there is speaking of rulers and authorities and judges, politicians. It could be speaking in our day of media and, and educators. 
that and God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of these little gods he holds judgment wow how and in verse 2 it says how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked so you have these certain forms of sinful behaviors and instead of trying to encourage justice to help them come out of those kind of behaviors, what you have is partiality towards that. If anyone were to try to help those people out of those sinful behaviors, they are considered uh, uh, they are considered hateful or bigotry, full of bigotry. It's just the opposite of true justice. Uh, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? God is, is one who judges judges. He judges leaders. He judges those who judge by color of skin. He judges those who, who, who take lives. He judges those who take unborn lives. He judges those who judge uh, wealth over poverty. He judges those who judge male over female or female over male. <coughs> he judges righteous judgment. Biblical judges speaks real truth. And we see this later on in Psalm 82, verse 3 and 4. He talks about being right, being just with the poor and those who are oppressed, those who are weak, those who are needy. That is the history of the Christian church since day one. And new things come and new, and then they go. But the biblical truth stands for generation after generation as God's way of dealing justly with the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted and the oppressed. And when we have biblical justice, we won't need these ungodly forms of false justice. God says in Leviticus 19.15, you must not pervert justice. And that's what's happening today. You must not pervert justice. You must not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the rich. You see, now that your classification, you are immediately guilty because of what you are. If you were born in a wealthy family, you are immediately considered an oppressor. And if you were born in a poor family, you're immediately considered a victim. But there are many people, quote-unquote, victims today that have raised up the, out of that and become pillars in our community and have become examples of people that overcome obstacles in their life. And so true justice, to not pervert justice, doesn't show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the rich. You are to judge your neighbor fairly. So, so biblical justice looks at the situation and doesn't look at skin color. It doesn't look at uh, male or female. It doesn't look at, at economic level. If, if, if something is true, it's true. If something is a lie, it's a lie. If something is just, it's just. If something is just, unjust, it's unjust. If something is evil, it's called evil. If something is good, it's called good. There's not this twisting of words. There's not this new definition of words. There is a biblical reality of the word of God. And so I believe that we are called in this day to stand up for the word of God. We are called in this day to have a strong backbone. We are called in this today to be fearless. We are called in this day to contend for our faith. We're called to do these things with the love of Jesus Christ, but also the truth that marches on, the truth that Jesus Christ, the Ancient of Days, sits on the throne, and he calls biblical justice justice, and he calls a worldly form of injustice. He calls it exactly what it is. Doesn't mince words, doesn't play around with words, doesn't call lies truth or truth lies. He he speaks the truth and he judges righteously. 
I praise God for this. Now we're gonna continue looking at Psalm 17. We've run out of time for today, but we're gonna continue this book looking at the rest of this, uh, speaking more directly of how this justice becomes a reality in our life and in our land. <laughs>